0: Good morning, Christ Central. I'm glad that you guys can talk to me in the midst of masks. Um, again, I'm Russell McCutcheon. I'm so glad to be here to worship with you. And as I was sitting there, thinking back on when I first met your Pastor Timothy and Pastor Daniel, who's on sabbatical, it was back in, what, 2017. I was in Memphis, and a friend of mine who is best friends with Chris Cooper... Told me about this guy who came to a Kynos conference in 2015, led by Dr. Brian Laritz, who is now in this area. Uh, this Kynos conference focuses on seeing the multi-ethnic church become the new norm. Uh, Pastor Laritz and I, Dr. Laritz and I were friends. I was on staff with him, and and it's through that meeting. I didn't meet uh, Pastor Mason at that time, but through Timothy Johnson, I met him. Then. I came here and saw the work that was taking place here in Durham. And ever since that time, I've always thought and been thankful to the Lord for this church in this area. Um, Durham has such history. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Durham except for what I have come to learn, except that I had a family member who was a part of the back-to-back championship team at Duke University, Um, a, a, a cousin of mine. Um, who's here in this area, but I'm more elated about the gospel work here. And even sitting here and looking at your worship guide and the time of prayer uh, for White Rock Baptist, this is where my heart just was just jumping within my soul just now because oftentimes within churches, we could be very territorial. Just thinking about our own space and that we're the only ones, but to realize that we need more churches in Durham. We need more churches in Raleigh with the rate of growth and that God can use White Rock and use any other church that proclaims the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to reach people who are coming. And so I'm so glad to worship you with you this morning and to see your hearts for gospel work, for gospel saturation uh, in this city. And so now I want to turn our attention to the word of God. So if you have your copy of God's word. Uh, Either a physical copy, I know many of you, we we have it digitally. And so, um, you can meet me in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I know you guys have it printed in the ESV. I'm sorry that I am out of bounds. I have the CSB. (laughs) Uh, And I will read from it. Verse 36 begins. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. Perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to, replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they cannot pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Before going further, let me pray for us in our time. Father in heaven, we are here corporately gathered together. Another day that you remind us, Lord Jesus, that you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell will not overpower it or overcome it. So, as your people, Lord God, we come to you as empty vessels. Asking by your spirit that you would fill us to overflowing. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey what your word says. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Chuck Swindoll was one day speaking at a camp in California And as this this camp was beginning, there was a gentleman who came up to him and said, Dr. Swindoll, I cannot wait to hear you speak. I've been waiting for this, and I am going to eat up every single word that you say. I'm ready. And so Dr. Swindoll said, thank you. I'm I'm glad that you are ready. And so uh, the camp begins. The speaking begins, this man sat on the front row and promptly went to sleep. Every time Dr. Swindoll got up to speak, he is asleep, and this frustrated him. This man just mentioned to me that he was was ready to listen to, to me open God's word, and yet he is falling asleep, and not just falling asleep in the back, he on the front row, asleep. On that Friday, a woman had come up to Dr. Swindoll, who had been sitting next to this man, and she said to Pastor Swindoll these words. She said, I want to thank you for the ministry this week. Oh, by the way, I am sorry about my husband sleeping on you. He has two weeks to live. He has terminal cancer, and the doctors gave him uh, a very small time to live, And when we talked about what he wanted to do before he died, he said, I want to go hear Chuck Swindoll. But Dr. Swindoll, the doctors give him some medicine to keep away the pain and the medicine makes him go to sleep. I want to apologize to you that he has been sleeping, but I wanted you to know that you made this the best week of the last part of his life. Pastor Swindall, you and I, we often make wrong judgments about people. You see, we react to situations and people without properly knowing anything about the person or the situation. I know we don't. Y'all don't do that. Uh, I know I do that. Right. I, I, I make false judgments about people like I, I may hear a narrative about someone, and without me knowing the person, I will co-opt and believe that narrative about someone I'm hearing about, or even a situation. But then, if it keeps going, I find out that what I have believed has been wrong and I'll begin to feel bad because I didn't take time to understand what was going on. My friends, the attitude that we can have about people can often be a hindrance to them coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we bury these false assumptions about people? See, I think there are, some, there are some assumptions that we are making about people right now in our cultural moment, as Pastor Price has said. I, I know you hear it if you, if, and, and see it. If you're on, on social media or anything, you, now it's the CRT buzz, right? And trust me, I am not about to define CRT, so please don't come ask me. I don't know. I don't read it. I don't engage in that but people on one end talking about those who believe that CRT stuff and they are believing this narrative about a particular person or a particular group and they don't even know them. How do we bury these false assumptions? See, I think we need to really get into the space of knowing someone. How do you get to know someone? Instead of believing something someone else said about me, back in the day when I was in high school, we call that being messy, How do we get to know them? What are their fears? What are things that cause them to have great joy? What do they long for? Where have they come from? What is their story? But now, we need to be careful not to do this as well. We don't need to treat people like animals at a zoo. You know, when you go to a zoo, you examine a beautiful animal from behind a cage. And walk by and say, "Mm, that animal looks good or that animal is ugly or that animal looks strange. We can treat people that way as well. See, we need to understand that this is a two-way street. This is just not me getting to know you, but I need to open up my chest and allow you to see me as well. So how do now I develop relationship with you to let you know what my story is as well? How do we know this? How do we do this? And I think this is what we see, especially. I see this with Simon and his guests as it relates to this woman who is a center, the text says. So in our story, we have a Pharisee who invited Jesus and some dinner guests. And while together in, 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 this, in, this, in this meal, there was a the text says there was a woman who entered this space. And the Bible does not give us her name. And as I thought about this, I am so thankful that the nameless folk in our world are known intimately by our Lord. The people that we don't want to take time out to get to know, God knows them. The Bible says this woman is a sinner, and she was there, and she was so overcome with emotion because of what took place in her life, she began to weep. Uh, she, her, her tears are wetting the feet of Jesus, and she is using her hair and, and wiping his feet and anointing his feet with some very expensive oil. But what is this woman doing here? Why is she in the room? Maybe she's not even supposed to be here. Maybe she has bombarded this intimate space. However, Jesus saw in her a person who trusted in him for salvation. He saw her response to him for being forgiven. She loved Jesus and it was expressed in her tears. So as we look at this story, this is the one thing I want us to know. If you're some note-taking people, uh, you can write this down. I want us to know that forgiveness possesses transforming power. Forgiveness possesses transforming power. See, this woman had been forgiven by Jesus, and it transformed her entire life. Everything was different after what Jesus did in her life. She was never the same after, and so in order for us to see this truth, I want to Examine uh, three characters. Now, many of you may like points. I really don't have points. I want to look at the characters in the story. I want to look at Simon the Pharisee. I want to look at the woman who is a sinner, and I want to end with the hero of every story in the Bible. His name is Jesus. So Simon the Pharisee, before we are given his name, we are simply told that he is a Pharisee. Now up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' interaction and encounters with the Pharisees have not been good. They have always been uh, moments of antagonism. You see, if you look in Luke chapter 5, the text says that Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. But what Jesus said before he healed the man was that, son, your sins are forgiven. Pharisee is getting all upset. If you want to see another story, go to Mark chapter 2, you have that parallel story. Because they're examining Jesus. The Pharisees always seem to be in the spot where Jesus was putting it down. They didn't want to be there for Jesus. They just wanted to see, I'm going to see what he does. What is he going to do? I want to see if you teach it right. What are you going to do? And then Jesus, as he is teaching people, this man come is lowered through a roof. What would you do if the top of this building opened up and a whole person is being let down? I'm picturing the scene. Jesus looks up as mud and sticks are hitting him in the head. And he looks at this man. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees say, you can't do that. Why? Because only God can forgive sins. But it didn't stop there. When Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, they were upset and said, this dude, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. Why is he going to hang out with people like that? It doesn't stop there. Jesus was with his disciples, and they were going through a grain field, picking heads of grain and eating them, and it was on the Sabbath. Never mind that you are hungry, but it's the Sabbath, and you don't violate the Sabbath, but they failed to realize that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. They got upset, and And finally in chapter 6 they were, uh, Jesus and disciples were in the synagogue and Jesus was teaching and there was a man there with a withered hand and they were watching him closely. Now this man's hand is not functioning. But they want to see what is Jesus going to do because it's the Sabbath. He can't bring wholeness into someone's life because of a day. But y'all know what Jesus did. Brother, stretch your hand out. And they get upset. But here in chapter 7 We don't have antagonism. Simon invites Jesus into this space for a meal. Now, this is a very vivid picture that Luke is giving us. For the text says in verse 36 that Jesus entered the house and reclined at the table. Now, what does it mean to recline at the table? Right? So when a guest comes, they would rest their left elbow on a cushion with their head towards the food with their feet stretched out so they could use their right hand to reach and get the meal. Luke, in his gospel, he loved to share the setting of a banquet. The host of this banquet is not an ordinary person of society. This is one of the religious people. The aristocracy of the day was Simon the Pharisee. And the beauty of this story is that Jesus accepted his invitation. He accepted it. He did not say, I don't want to be around you because y'all acting crazy. Jesus entered this man's house. Now, three things were done. Y'all stay with me. I I promise you, we're going to get somewhere with this. Three things were done when an invited guest would enter the home of someone uh, who was having a banquet. First, the host would place his hand on the guest's shoulder and give him a kiss of peace. That's the first thing. Second, because the rolls were dusty. They were dusty. And people of that day, they didn't wear shoes like we wear shoes. They just had something, a sole, under the bottom of their feet with straps that would go over the top of their feet. And so as they're walking these dusty roads, and if it rained, your feet are nasty. So the host would then take some cool water and wash your feet. Finally, either a pinch of sweet-smelling incense was burned or a drop of rose oil was placed placed on the guest's head. If you notice the story, Simon did none of this. He did none of it. He was more focused on what Jesus did not do because a woman who was a sinner entered the banquet. Now here is a sidebar for me. In a very patriarchal society, Luke is is taking great pains to let us know and write about a woman a woman and who Jews would not be talking to out in society or they may have been seen as less than, but this woman is front and center. This woman began to cry and anoint Jesus' feet and Simon said in verse 39, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. It's obvious that Simon did not have a heart for the lost. Sidebar. Do you care about those who are lost in Durham? Do you care about them? No matter where they live, do you care whether they are on the street, homeless, or whether they're in a million dollar home? Do you care about them? You see, Simon desired purity, so he separated himself from fellowship with sinners and he believed that Jesus should have done the same. He dwelt on a past record Therefore, he believed that she needed to be judged and ostracized. So as Christians, it's easy for us. I don't know if you you feel this, but I certainly feel it. It's easy for us to drift away from those who are lost once we come to faith. If you and I look at our social network, who do we hang around mostly? To be honest with you, as a pastor, I I have to take uh, I have to on purpose make sure I go and hang around those who are lost because all of my day I am around other Christians and this happens so much. It's almost like, uh, y'all may not remember this, but I know years ago they had this Hertz commercial uh, rental car and they tried to say that it was so comfortable they put aromatherapy candles in the back. The driver and everyone in there, as the car was moving, they were asleep, Right? I think hanging around Christians, me hanging around Christians so much, I'm like those guys in a Hertz car. I can be put to sleep and forget about those who are lost out here. And I forget about what it looks like to be lost. Now, I know some of us may, like I don't ever remember not being a Christian. But for those of us who do know, do you remember what life was like when you were lost? Do you remember the way that you thought? Do you remember the things that you did? Do you remember? I would say don't lose that when you engage someone who is not in the faith, Because when you look at anyone who is lost, you don't look down at them. You need to be looking in a mirror. I see myself in this situation. You see, Simon didn't show love for this woman. The key for us is to have love for the lost, not love the fact that they are lost. Love the lost. Don't love the fact that they are lost. When we see those who are without Christ, we should recognize that we were once as they are at this moment. Our hope for them is that they would experience the same grace that you and I experienced. So that's Simon. But let's look at the next character, the woman. The woman who was a sinner. So Simon invited Jesus, but he didn't have a gracious heart toward this woman. He was more concerned that she had a past and that maybe she shouldn't have been there. Now, we, I, I may think that she was not an invited guest. She shouldn't have been there. But the truth is, uninvited guests could come to this type of meal. They were allowed to stand on the wall to hear the words from the rabbi who was invited. The text calls her again a sinner. She's not given a name. We don't even know what her sin was. Many would say that she was a prostitute. The text doesn't say. If I look at the context of the passage, right before this, it says that Jesus was friends of tax collectors and sinners. Was her lifestyle one that uh, was she matriculated around those who were tax collectors? I don't know because tax collectors were hated individuals. We don't know what her sin was. The Bible just says she was a woman who was a sinner. Now. She did not stay along the wall, It's evident from the text. She was active in her work. Notice what she did. She found out that Jesus was at the table. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. She, she, she stood behind Jesus. She wept. She washed his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed his feet with perfume. She loved and was devoted to Jesus. She also showed herself to be more hospitable than Simon was, and this was Simon's own house. Because verse 47, Jesus said this about her. He says, Your, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved so much. She did all of these things for, for Jesus, being hospitable because her sins were many and she had been forgiven. She realized that she had been separated from God. But now that she had been forgiven, she was in the family of God. She is a daughter of the king. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. She experienced the transforming power of God. And and what happened to this woman reminded me of the old song from the late 70s, sung by a woman by the name of Tremaine Hawkins, The song was called Chains. This song says, a wonderful change has come over me. Her life is no longer the same. There was a freedom in her life. There was a man who was born in a foreign country. And in his home country, because of the strife and turmoil, they had a curfew. When it got dark... They had to be in the house. They could not be on the street or suffer the repercussions. This man moved to America. And because he was so excited about being in America, he wanted to go out and sightsee. He wanted to see all of the landmarks and just be and breathe in the air, right? Sensing freedom. But it got dark. So he's hanging out. You know, you can get lost in time. And it got dark. And so he was like, oh, my goodness, curfew. And so he saw a man getting in his car. He says, sir, could you take me to my hotel so that I could make it to my room before curfew? I don't want to get in trouble. And as they talked, and the man with the car realized, he says, wait a minute. Are you from another country? He says, yes. Excuse me. Your law in your country does not apply to the country here. You don't have to go in the house When it gets dark, you're free to travel. You're free to go see what you want to see. What took place in your home country no longer applies to your time here in America. You are free from the bondage of your past. This woman was free from the bondage of her past. Like you and I, those of us who are in Christ, praise God that our past is in the past. Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You may, know my, you may know my story. You may know all the junk I did, and I did a lot of it. You can try to bring it up, but I'm so glad Jesus says, I died for that. Now, don't hold that against him. That's over. You see, this woman, she had now become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to believe that Jesus... When he would see this woman, yes, he, he saw her past because he, he says her sins were many, but he also saw what she would become. And this reminded me of what Jesus said to Simon Peter in John chapter 1. The text says that Jesus saw Simon. And he says, your name is Simon, but your name would be Peter. Jesus saw what he was, but they also saw what he would become. You and I are not the same. We're not what we used to be. We're not what we used to be. And he now is making us more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that maybe as the great Dr. Gardner C. Taylor would say, that maybe one day when we're before him, the angels would nudge each other, hit each other and say, and look at Jesus and say, which one? Because they look like Jesus. This is the story of this woman. She was not too far away that she could not be saved. For Isaiah 59 and 1 says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear not too deaf to hear. This woman was changed. And we're able to talk about this woman because of Jesus. And finally, we got to end with the hero of this story. This woman came and she learned that Jesus was in Simon's home for a banquet. Now, how does she find out about Jesus? Well, we know in reading the Gospels that that was a buzz about Jesus. That was a buzz about him. When he would go out and, and, and heal and, and feed people and, and, and just teach, they went out just talking about Jesus and maybe she heard about Jesus this way. My friends, let's not minimize when we are having conversations about Jesus and there are those who are around us ear hustling. Okay, again, y'all don't do this, but do you ear hustle other people's conversation? And when you're talking, don't minimize that when you're talking about Jesus and there may be somebody in the aisle acting like they're trying to look at some clothes in the mall. But they ain't really looking at no clothes. They, they're there just listening to see about what, what are you talking about with this Jesus? Because maybe the Holy Spirit, or as J. Vernon McGee would call, the hound of heaven, maybe he is using that conversation to draw this person to himself. See, what I love about Jesus is that he was willing to go into the home of a man who was a part of the group that was antagonizing him. He was willing to go, and he, he was welcomed into his home. But Simon became upset that he was engaging a sinner. And so because of Simon and his attitude, Jesus began to tell him a story. In verses 41 through 43, it says, The creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they cannot pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told them. And then this is what I love about the story. Again, the vividness. The text says that Jesus turned to the woman while talking to Simon. Again, the gaze of God on this woman, the woman who had been a sinner. Jesus looks directly at her knowing her history, knowing her past, but he is not looking down on her. He is loving her, and I see tears streaming down her face while he is looking at this woman. He's talking to Simon. He lets Simon know that everything that she did, he should have done as the host of the banquet. She kissed me, you didn't kiss me. She anointed me, you didn't do it. This woman showed hospitality more than you did. Again, Jesus didn't overlook her sins. He said that her sins were many, but twice he declared that her sins were forgiven. She was not forgiven on her own merit. She did not earn it because she brought an alabaster jar. She did not earn it because of her tears. All of that was a response to the forgiveness that took place in her life. She was accepted, and this was a scandal among the guests because the guests would say, Who is this man who forgives sins? Who is this man? But what was the scandal to Simon and the other guests was grace to the woman. Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman represents the hope that the greatest sinners can find God through Jesus Christ. There's a story of a man who took a cruise and he spent all that he had to go on this cruise. He had no more money. And if you've ever taken a cruise, you know what a cruise is like. But what this man did, he made a boatload, a week's worth of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Now, I don't look down on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because I grew up on them. Um, but he made, uh, he made a ton of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the whole week. And so he's on the boat with these smushed old peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, jelly running off the side of them. He's eating them while watching another person with a plate with baked chicken and fish and filet mignon, no white lines in it. And so he also saw people were getting room service. Like, hold on, what's going on here? And so he sees a man with a plate and he says to him, like, sir, excuse me, how much would that cost? He says, excuse me, how much would it cost? He says, yeah, how much would that plate cost? And he told the man... I only had enough money for the ticket. The man with the plate of food said, no, you you got it wrong. When you bought your ticket, your food was included with the price of the ticket. My friends, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything we need in this life. Everything. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have been adopted into the family of God. When we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything we need is given to us. This is how Jesus works. But there is a fourth group that I want to mention. They're not mentioned in the text, but I guarantee you they were there. Because Mark 3.14 says this, that Jesus called the disciples to be with him. The disciples, the 12, were with Jesus all the time, 24 hours a day. And what did they see? They saw how Jesus engaged people who were sinners. They saw how Jesus even engaged the religious of their day. I think that their story is certainly vital to you and I today because you and I would not be sitting here if those 12 were not faithful to obey God's command, obey the command of Jesus to do what he told him in Acts chapter 1, 8, that you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was training these disciples in this moment as he even engaged this woman who was a sinner and Simon. So here's the question. If what took place over 2,000 years ago is important for us, for those of you who are in Christ, and if Jesus does not return soon, who will be the ones who hear about this glorious gospel because of our faithfulness, because of our obedience? The message that we hear week in and week out is not a message to make us feel good. When we leave, every sermon should point us to this truth how am I to obey this text? So how? How will you do it this week? How will you do it for the rest of the day? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are glorious. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And I pray that, um, that we would look at this story of, the, uh, of Simon and see ourselves. And if we see ourselves in Simon, that we would repent. We see ourselves in this woman and be thankful because Jesus, you died to forgive sins. The disciples who we don't see in the text, but they're there, who were obedient, who was learning, give us eyes and give us hearts to do what needs to be done, Lord God, as we matriculate through society, that we would glorify you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.